Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Black girls are the architects of cool. When you've made everything great, you deserve a break. Well, what's still needed is if your voice, mm-hmm. kind of like on this platform here, like you can say that this story has been told before, but not by you. I always say, you know, hood girls can be heroes too. Welcome. You are tuned into Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. This podcast is a space for honest and relevant conversations meant to recharge Black women and inspire you on your journey. We're your hosts, Akila Friend and Ty McRae, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. talk about church <laughs> i know y'all y'all never mind me i'm just preparing for my like this is going to be my career in the last quarter of my life okay i'm going to be traveling seeing your old negro spirituals mm-hmm. you know at that at that That's moment in time it's going to be like very far away so they're going to be thinking <laughs> i was alive back then i'm telling y'all i'm gonna be a multi multi-millionaire just from singing just from oh singing. yes because yeah. kimberly is gonna write the book she's like today tamika did yes. <laughs> What we talking about like that? That is my life every day. Yeah. We talking about like the 2060s, 2070s. Yeah. Y'all watch out, Mama Mika on tour. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode. We're your hosts. I'm Akila Friends. And I'm Ty McCray. And today we're here to talk about literary activism because there's so many ways to fight for the things our culture requires, wants, our needs, but literature is, is perhaps the top right because it, it just lives on we're here joined by two amazing guests as they've already shown themselves to be well we'll have them introduce them introduce themselves really quickly tamika we'll start with you just okay. say something quickly about yourself what you do <clears throat> let the people know who you are and kimberly you'll go next well my name is tamika newhouse i am a natural born creator a natural born storyteller 
Um, I have 18 books. I have an independent publishing house called Delphine Publications, where I've published well over 300 titles. And then I also have a memoir podcast called Traces of Mika. It's where I, I share stories about my life of survival and, and my journey with mental health and being a mother and trying to find my happy. And I am so blessed and happy to be here with you ladies and talk about all the beautiful things that me and Kimberly do. Kimberly? <laughs> My name is Kimberly Latrice Jones. I am a New York Times bestselling author, NAACP Image Award nominee, GQ Germany Voice of the Year, Route 100 Most Influential African American. I'm an author. I'm also a filmmaker. I'm the mother of a very interesting 16-year-old boy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Tamika and I have lots of projects together because from the day we first met, it it was forever. Yeah. It's like, sister, from another Yep. I know you. I love, I love. We, we just been in each other's lives and putting each other to work. Been through some things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. yep. She'll call me and say, Tamika, I need you to do this. I ain't back. Kim, I need you to do this. Okay. Put on my calendar. Yep. And that's how we work. I love, I love that. We don't even we ask. start from the basics, yeah. though. Yes. What is literary activism? Mm-hmm. Mm, in a nutshell, I would say, because for me, I think the most powerful weapon that we have is our voice, right? And so our history here in America, it started viral. It started where we couldn't even speak in our own language and we couldn't even share our own experiences. And so now not only can we share our own experiences, but we can profit from them. So there's nothing more powerful than being able to tell our own stories our way and then put them on platforms such as this. So I advocate for us in a way where I amplify our voices I make these comfortable, safe spaces for us. Essentially, we are kind of just amplifying black stories as a whole. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literature is the DNA of a culture. So, I know that's right. She's yeah. about to drop some gems, y'all. Right. <laughs> get, get your pass out, y'all. Who's listening? <laughs> Let me put that on a um, T-shirt. Yes. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like when you want to know what happened during an era, you look to the word. Whether that word is a, a book or a song or a film or a poem, you look to the word. I mean, we still look into the word of books that are millennial old, that are thousands and thousands of years old. And so it's like it's a time capsule. Yeah. So if I want to know how people lived and felt in a moment, I could read people who are writing about it currently mm-hmm. or I can go read someone who wrote about it then. And um, in my latest book, How We Can Win, I have a section called Reconstruction 2.0 because I feel like reconstruction is what black people need to get it right because we didn't get it right the first time. And I read books from W.E.B. Du Bois because he wrote a book called Reconstruction when he was living in Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So we look to the written word for DNA, which which makes it revolutionary by nature. It is. Mm-hmm. I, everything you said was pure poetry. And at the it same was. time, I feel like the written word is not getting the credit it deserves. We got tweets, we got lives. And so how are the two of you getting people back to that purity that we need and getting people even to sit down long enough to write and then the rest of us to sit down long enough to read it? it. Well, for me personally, it's about connection because everything is so digital. And so fast paced and and people don't know, they kind of lack the patience these days. And so you don't really value the connections that you can actually build when you're in each other's presence. So I like to build these experiences where I bring these stories to life and I tap into the creators, their stories and their history, not technically just their stories that they're writing, but the stories of their life Mm -hmm. and why they decide to create these stories so I'm big on experiences and I'm huge on and creating that that connection in person 
versus always just being online. So that's really where I kind of fall. Do you mind telling us like a story or like, is there a project, an artist, a book? How do you bring it to life? Like give us specifics. Oh yeah. So I want to say maybe about 12, 13 years ago, I created something called literary experiences Mm -hmm. and it's in a space where people congregate or they socialize. I create these comfortable spaces um, something outside of just books, out of the norm. And I felt that, you know, grown folks don't want to just come and just get read to. They don't want to just come and pick up a book that's boring. So I used to create these uh, these things and these concepts. Depending on what the content was about, I would then pull out something that would be relatable. And I would create a mantra or uh, some type of phrase for this experience. And then I would then implant certain activations that will kind of enhance what I want us to talk about. So if it's about love, I will bring in uh, people that can create conversations around love, products that kind of complement the conversations around love. And it's always going to be liquor and alcohol involved (laughs) and food because I love to eat. Um, And I like to feed the souls like spiritually um, and physically. So normally I kind of do it in lounges, you know, or, you know, these social settings so that people can be comfortable, you know, and then connect with the creatives and get to listen to their stories. But then I don't ask those um, those questions. Why did you write this book? And what is this about? And who's your favorite character? That's boring, too. I really tap into their experiences, their pains, their joys, what, what makes them alive and then some things that they may aspire to be. And I always try to pull that out of them because there's people in the audience that are listening they are probably sometimes lost as well, and they, they need that inspiration. And so when they're able to physically see this person living out something that they have aspired to be, what's more inspiring than that? You're right. Yeah. That. So that's what I do. And her events are always a vibe because she be having free liquor. <laughs> I do. I said, we got to drink and eat, man. You got you to gotta get to it. You know? I feel like, you know, we can't overlook the fact we're black women hosts sitting right. across from two black women just literary and congratulations, yes. ladies, on this. Thank you. It's been really fun. Yeah. Mostly it's because of guests like Honestly, <laughs> honestly. But the power of the word, as you all already described it, is so impactful. I feel like, you know, words are weapons, right? Mm-hmm. And how can you talk about the fact that, or can you talk about the fact that black women are specifically positioned, specifically here to kind of use words for combat almost, right? And how do we do that? I mean, black girls are the architects of cool. Like, nobody has changed the etymology of language more than us. Come on, Kim. Mm -hmm. So, you know. (laughs) I mean, we go down the list. On fleek. Like, just everything Mm -hmm. anyone says came from a black family. I'll mess you up. Put your hands together. Mm. That's from yeah. 1920s jazz slang. Yeah. What? Yeah. And we still using that? Yeah, think about the sentence structure in that, right? Yeah. That doesn't sound like proper s- sentence structure. No. Put your hands together for the next guest. Now it's universally used as an introduction. Mm-hmm. But, and so it's so, it's so deep. I mean, a 14-year-old little Wayne changed the world and told us to say bling. And we've mm-hmm. said it ever since. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, get, you can watch everybody from heads of state. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. 
to people who don't even like black people. <laughs> talk about their jewelry and talk about the bling yeah. from a 14-year-old little boy from the projects in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So nobody has adjusted the etymology of the English language more than black Americans, particularly black women. And so we do have to use it in terms of being on a battlefield. But I, I like to celebrate the fact that we, we use it to bring color to life. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what's, what's that saying? Being, being black is dangerous, but it's lit. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I it is. It yeah. is, and like, and that's 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 thanks to us. We are the architects of cool. We teach people how to be, how to walk, mm -hmm. how to dress, mm -hmm. how to speak, how to wear their hair, yeah. how to sculpt their bodies, mm -hmm. how to how to show up in a space, how to defend yourself, how to fight for liberation. Black women have been the forefront of every movement. It's funny. I got blessed. A couple years ago to to be on a panel with women who were around during the civil rights movement. And it broke my heart to hear them talk about the fact that they put together the March on Washington and then were denied the ability to speak. Yes. Yeah. yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's just like now people are wondering why we're having this epic battle about black women expressing themselves and black women living a soft life mm -hmm. and black women choosing to design life however they want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that is because when you've made everything great, you deserve a break. Okay. I like to have these conversations around our stories and, and bring why, uh, black women onto these platforms so they can see why mm -hmm. technically we're not angry but we're uh, we're passionate yes. in a sense mm. and you know we feel things heavily we carry a lot of things on us a lot of us are are having to be the mother and the father and then the protector and the teacher showing people how to love and and again as Kim say we are the architects of cool everything mm -hmm. almost starts with us we birth the whole entire nation the mm -hmm. earth if you really think about it mm. and I really want uh, women to be celebrating and appreciate it we're not angry we tired a little bit sometimes you know we, we want to rest a little yeah. bit sometimes but we're, we're definitely not angry and so i like to normalize us a little bit of course so each of you there must be a hundred and a million books between the two of you mm -hmm. and every time i think i'm going to write i'm like it's already been written mm -hmm. especially when i read mm -hmm. something not by you not by you but i'm like it's already been not said from your perspective and said beautifully but not they by did you. it <laughs> they said it beautifully like yeah. we don't need, it's like me well, we're, here's where I'm going with this. Okay, yeah. Let, let me let you finish. Yeah,いやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやいやい
But my hood girl ain't Remy Ma's hood girl. Okay. And Remy Ma's hood girl ain't, you know what I'm saying, Cardi B's hood girl. Mm -hmm. And Cardi B's hood girl ain't going to be Glorilla's hood girl. Right. You know what I mean? Sometimes I say I think I'm more hood adjacent. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like, it's, it's vantage point. Yeah. You know, your vantage point is very, it's funny, I'll tell you a quick story. My first novel, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, is co-authored with a um with a white woman and it's told in a dual narrative about how these two young teenage girls, one black and one white, see the same night from a different point of view. And so as me and my writing partner Geely were writing it, a book came out by Jason Reynolds, who's a huge literary superstar, right? Mm -hmm. But his book, American Boys, came out with him and Brendan Kiley. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Two kids, two boys, one black, one white, same night, different perspective. So I DM Jason on Facebook. I'm like, you I just read an advanced reader copy of your book. It's absolutely amazing. But damn, me and Geely were just writing that. Yeah. It's called, I'm not, well, at the time it's called Mass Disturbance. It wasn't, I'm not down with you tonight yet. And I was like, so now we got to go back to the drawing board. And I got this long message from Jason, like, finish your book. Yeah. Because this is me and Brendan's vantage point of being two males. And it's about somebody who's a victim of it. Y'all's is about a riot. It's about, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. and he was like, you will just give me and Brendan a book that we can refer to if the girl said, I want a girl version of that book. Wow. Yes. And it's beautiful that you still wrote it because I do that all the time. I'll see mm. something like, you know what? I miss my moment. There's yeah. this. maybe that's, that's my most successful book, too, by the way. Really? That's the one that made the New York Times. Wow. That got nominated for the Image mm -hmm. Award. Yes, the yes. film rights for it have been optioned by Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. That's my most successful book. And I almost didn't, didn't do write it. it. Almost didn't write it. Almost didn't do it. How did you guys even get in the game? You know what I mean? Because I think about the whole idea of activism. I never thought of it from a literary perspective until you all answered that first question. When I think through what ways am I showing up in the world that's proving the fact that black women can make their mark is my own version of activism. Writing is not necessarily that first step. For you, it, it seems almost natural. It seems like this was always the path. Is that the case or is that not? Or if it was, how did you really decide to say, you know what, I'm truly going for it and this is how? For me, this was always going to be what I was going to do. I had told my mother at 12 that I was going to move to Atlanta. I was going to be this full-time arthurist and I was going to just tell stories. I never wanted to be anything other than that. And I've been writing stories since I was maybe eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just in me. Like, people know how to naturally sing. Mm -hmm. They know how to naturally dance or paint and draw. I knew how to tell stories. But one thing I did not actually kind of foresee was being, like, in this space of activism. Because I was dreaming for me. But when I got into this space and I discovered there was hundreds of black writers, because I started with this book club called AANBC, which stands for African-Americans on the Move Book Club. And I discovered hundreds of published black writers through my book club. And before that, mainstream media, you know, news and right. magazines and things like that only showed the same 30 or so you know, black writers. And then yeah, Zane, yes. Eric yeah. Jerome Dickey. Yeah, know. Terry McMillan, you know, yeah. Alice mm -hmm. Walker. You know, the same beautiful, you know, Tony beautiful, Morrison, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, successful writers. But there are hundreds of others. And I was one of them. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what, this is amazing because so often they feel like our stories wasn't worth being told. And I was one of those. I was like, wait, I got something to say, too. But are they going to put me on a platform with the Alice Walkers and the Terry McMillans and the Elon Harris and the Eric Jerome Dickies? Well, if they're not, well, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to build that platform. Mm -hmm. And so that's ultimately just been my life's work, just praying the tables and mm -hmm. open up the doors that they would not let us through. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm a frontline activist. That's what I do. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and but I was a filmmaker. I actually didn't decide that I was going to write novels until I met Tamika mm. because I had, at the time, I was managing a children's bookstore and we had a program called Project Bookshelf for kids who are on free and reduced lunch in Decatur schools. They would come into the bookstore I was managing before every break, before spring break, Christmas break, before every break, and they had an amount of money that they could spend to get books and we would shut the store down just for them oh, wow. and let them have their own shopping experience and get books. And my girls, every time they came back for the next one, I would be like, I gave them all these amazing books. And I would be like, how did you love that book? And they would be like, we ain't read it, Miss Kim. And I'd be like, oh, man. So I try to put something else in their hands or something else in their right. hands or something else in their hands. And so finally, one day they came and I said, look, y'all tell me what book y'all want to read and I'll order it. So the next time, you know, y'all come back, I'll have it. And so they came back and they were like, oh, Miss Kim, we, we got the book we want to we wanna read. And I said, what is it? And they said, Thug Loving. And I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> I will be not ordering y'all grown people erotica. <laughs> and y'all is 13. I was like, they bypassed the coldest uh, right. and went straight to the yeah, Thug, thug loving. loving. I said, no, ma'am. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. So I don't order Thug Loving for myself because I want to see what they do. You know, and what I realized what they were telling me is they wanted to see themselves reflected on the page For sure. that although I was giving them mm-hmm. all of these amazing books, mm-hmm. it was books that made it seem as if though being who they are wasn't good enough that they needed to be aspirational to be something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where this phrase came from. Hood girls can be heroes, too. Mm-hmm. And so I found Tamika's young adult novel, Cookie. And I ordered that for them, and they ate it up. And the teacher over the program emailed me and was just like, they are holding their own book club under the stairs. Like, they're skipping wow. class not to go do anything <laughs> wild, but to sit under the stairs with each other and have book club about cookie. Mm-hmm. And so Tamika and I had done an event. I had tried to put together an event at the store. It fell apart, but it worked out the way it was supposed to. Nobody came. And so the authors, we just kind of sat around and around. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't an author then. So I, I just moderated this talk. And so I had, I was, fam- you know, we were friendly mm-hmm. enough. And so I called her and I told her this story. I said, man, kids are skipping class to have book club around your book. I said, if you could just come the next time they come in, it will blow their mind, you right. know, mm-hmm. that you showed up for them. Because mm-hmm. half of the times our kids are just used to like nobody showing, showing up for up. them. Yeah. So Tamika came and I'm, I get misty every time I tell this damn story. Uh, I'm <laughs> here, like no punk ass bitch. Listen, yeah. um, hood girls can be heroes too. Right. Hood girls can cry Hood girls can cry. Um, but she came and like she went above and beyond for them. Oh, they how they have like cupcakes and mm-hmm. yeah, I had brought them all individual cupcakes. Mm-hmm. And then I sat and talked with them about just their life and you know about cookie and and then that it was inspired by me. Like, look, I'm cookie. Yeah. I'm a girl just like you. It was one of those moments where I knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Outside of creating platforms for other writers, but allowing young girls to also hear my story because right. my, my story coming up was, wasn't so beautiful. It wasn't so perfect, but I somehow was able to, to make a way by making my own dreams come true. And growing up, I thought that someone had to make my dreams come true. Like I had to like, someone had to, to know about someone me. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to someone had to, you know, to discover my talent and say, look, uh, we're going to give you this opportunity. But I actually took that opportunity myself 
And I like to tell young girls, look, you can do that too. Yeah. You got to wait for somebody to say that you good. You good. Just uh, look in the mirror and say it. Right. Yeah. Your story yeah. is so oh beautiful. God. For it, so many reasons. <laughs> it is, but it actually reminds me of when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't know this now because I'm the biggest dork in the world. But I Here we go. hated reading. <laughs> I hated reading. And I'm shocked. Right. <laughs> but it's because the books they were giving me, I didn't like. So my older mm-hmm. sister. Because you didn't see yourself. Yeah. She liked That's science it. fiction, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And I was like, why is the li- what's happening? <laughs> yeah. This don't make no sense. Charlotte's Web I was like I don't care yeah, about yeah. this spider and this whale and I got a library card and I still remember the day my father your, I was so young your parent had to sign if you were allowed to take out adult books mm-hmm. and my father he goes okay and I started taking out the books that I wanted to read they were like I remember the first book that lit me up it was about it was a nonfiction book about gangsters. Mm. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you a Cali girl, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it was called it was called Eight Ball Chicks about <laughs> Latinx gangs in California. And I was okay. like, I was like, I'm into it. And I've been reading ever since, but I think that that's so important. It is. Yeah. 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 Just that moment. And I'm mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to, to and you remember to see that story. Yeah. So I can just imagine what those yeah. little girls now are oh, trying yeah. to think about. I know. Yeah. Like, I wonder yeah. where they are. Y'all right. listen to me. She kept up with them too, right? Like she gave them tickets to the awards ceremony. Oh, yeah. I, I did do all that. It was, it was, it was an experience for them. Yeah. And, and I that, didn't be doing stuff. Yeah. Yes. And that, um, that made me realize, like, we needed more people with a pen writing mm-hmm. those types of stories. So mm-hmm. Lena, in my first book, Dying, is inspired by the voice and cookie. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh my goodness. You snuck in there though that you were a frontline activist (laughs) that you are. Can you tell me more about the work you do in the community? Yeah. So I'm the chief innovation officer for an organization called the People's Uprising, but we were born out of the civil unrest in 2020. And now we focus our energy on equity and access. So we just recently had a trade school fair because we're trying to get people back to work, but not in jobs that are insulting monetarily to them. Mm. Um, so we, you know, we had at the trade school, everybody from, you know, 911 to City Works, jobs that pay well. And then we also had trade schools there that people could sign up for. We had caps there so that people could get free daycare so that they could get these jobs. Can't say that I didn't know that was going to mm-hmm. be my destiny yeah. because my activism work started very, very young, down to being 12 years old and taking my allowance every weekend in Chicago and going downtown and collect homeless people and taking them to lunch. Oh, I used wow. to do that when I was 12. Wow. You wouldn't let your kids do that no. now, right? <laughs> but, you know, back then, my mother was just like, this is what she I'm wants to do. Yeah. You know, let her do it. Yeah. yeah. And so I've had every kind of walk team you can have, March of Dimes, cancer, <laughs> all of that. So, you know, I always understood that giving back was important. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing it at a different level now. But hey, I mean, that big mouth paid off. And you guys, I mean, you guys are, it's, the authenticity is just seeping through you. And I feel like just in terms of giving back, obviously giving back naturally through your activism work on the front lines, but also through the literary work that you're doing. I'm thinking to myself, you know, oftentimes we talk about showing up in your true self at work or being your true self in corporate America, et cetera, et cetera. And that there's some level of a push and pull that you have to do. There's, it's hard Mm -hmm. to partner with the man while you're trying to defeat it, right? Yeah, like, right? So how does that work in the literary world when mm-hmm. you're you're being authentic, you're doing your thing, <laughs> you talked about self-publishing, is it because that is the only way to be as, you know, 
No, that's just the yeah. way I, that I started. Right. <laughs> because when I discovered the art of self-publishing, meaning mm-hmm. that I could do it myself, mm-hmm. there was no more discussion on, on waiting. There was okay. not even a second thought mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can make my own dreams come true. And then I began to continue that work with other writers okay. through my own publishing company and making their dreams come true and then putting their books on platforms that they probably would have not been able to do if they were on their own. So for me, it's more so being very intentional with what it is that you want to accomplish and do. The way that I really go about my experiences and then my publishing and just kind of motivating other writers to be great, I actually get the attention. Like, I don't have to go knocking on the doors. Mm -hmm. They actually come to me. So when I actually released my first book, The Ultimate Mm No-No, nine months after that book came out, I was in New York winning an award for self-published author of the year. Wow. Meeting one of my idols, one of my, my literary idols, Eric Jerome Dickey, for the very first time, wow. winning an award on, on the same stage as him. And the editor at the time of Kensington Publishing was there, walked up to me and said, hey, I've been hearing about this, you know, this book, The Ultimate No-No. You know, I would like to read it. Now, you know, I'm independent, I'm self-published, you know, so in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, it's $15, you know. <laughs> running my money. I, right, right. my money. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about giving away the book, yeah. but I was, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and let her read it, because, you know, she's an editor, I guess she's important, you know, right. let me give it to her. <laughs> so, I went on about my business, literally, when my book came out, I was doing events every week. Mm-hmm. I was catching flights every month, and I'm just this country girl, like, from <laughs> Texas, so this was a whole new world, a whole new space for me. And I completely forgot about giving this lady my book. And she hit me up maybe about three or four months later and said, look, we want to buy the rights to this book. And it ended up going into mass market. And it was all over the world. That's kind of what propelled me into being like this really uh, successful independent publisher. And I was able to quit my job at 23. Just in my work from my experiences, I work with Amazon. I've worked with Fox. I've worked with Bravo. I've worked with Netflix. I've worked with... Almost every student you can think of, but it's because of the work that I've been doing on my own. It's like show and tell. Mm -hmm. I'm showing you what I can do. Yeah. So now they can show up. I love it. I think that's another. Yeah, that's it's possible Mm -hmm. if you do the work yourself. I always tell people if you are not going to invest the time and the resources in yourself initially. How do you expect anyone else to do the same? Mm-hmm. If you're going to give yourself the mediocre approach, yep. why do you expect a huge return? It's true. So you're going to treat yourself the way that you want them to treat you. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm worth, I'm a multi-millionaire already, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm going to treat myself accordingly. You, like, now you can't, you can't offer me this. You yeah. can offer me what I expect and, yeah. and what I, I feel like I'm valued mm-hmm. because that's the value that I place on myself. So, yeah. And I always encourage people, you know, you set the tone mm-hmm. and you sure. can actually do it yourself and make your own dreams come true. And the people will actually come to you. Yep. I love that. Yeah. But what I power. also love is the idea that writing is creative. And I think that I'll speak for myself. Sometimes you're on autopilot. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're overworking. You get taken care of everyone else but yourself. And I love the idea that not only do black women take a moment to tell their own stories, but they take a moment to do something like creative right. and have a hobby. And how is this creative outlet like enriched your lives? How can we encourage some of our listeners to pick up a pen, a paintbrush, whatever it may be? Okay, I'll go first. I'm not going to be short because <laughs> it's simple. It's simple, right? If there is something that you want to experience, okay, we'll go do it. It's simple. No, it, no, it, listen, listen, it's simple because you can go discover the steps and it doesn't have to be on a large scale. So that's the thing. Sometimes people feel like it has to look a certain way. Yes. 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 And it doesn't. Like, you just start by just doing it. Mm-hmm. 
like if it like go to and, and then go into the environments of the spaces where people are actually doing the things that you mm-hmm. want to do. Surround yourself with some inspiration. Yeah. But you can if you want to do it. Cool. Yeah. Let's figure out the steps. Let's take the logical, practical approach mm-hmm. to make it work and to make it happen. But it can happen. It's not impossible. Yeah. It's only impossible if you don't do it. Revolutions are not overnight. So not overnight at all. And it's like, how how bad do you want it? Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a mindset shift that yeah. you seem mm-hmm. to have had for since you were... 12 in Texas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of us might be working on it. I mean, think about it. Like, okay, so look at your life today. Mm -hmm. Look at the things that you have today. Mm -hmm. Are you happy? Mm -hmm. Are you satisfied? If you're not, let's identify the things that you want to experience, the things that you actually want to see in front of you. It's very, very simple. And if you do not shift and change and try to tap into that space that you want to experience, then don't complain. Okay. That means you like how your life is. That's it. Simple to me. That's it's it. very simple. A little mm-hmm. tough love. Baby yes. Tough. I'm a little triggered. I mean, but I think just... the, the key there is taking it in stages because I can hear mm-hmm. that and I can receive that, but then I'm, I feel like, okay, that means tomorrow I got to be the president. But no. I'm no. Not like, <laughs> like, no. 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 It don't work like, like yeah, that. It don't work. It don't and work that's like when that. I'm like, who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Because you, because you, you got to do it. Okay, so I'm I'm neurodivergent, right? So I'm on the spectrum. Okay, what's have, the yeah, Let me look like, at that word. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the spectrum, and I have, I'm ticking right now. And so I have ADHD, and so I can't do things in big chunks. Right. You asked me to. I was just talking about this on Tamika's page. She was like, "How do you do be in business with somebody?" And I came on her page. Was like, "Well, this is how I'm in business with you." Yep. <laughs> uh, and it's like, um, you know, she's a good friend. She understands that about me. She knows she has to give me things in small chunks. Mm-hmm. She knows if she gives me some laundry list, I'm gonna go into ADHD paralysis mm-hmm. and do nothing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So she's like, "No, I need you to do this thing today. I need you to call this person today. Like, I need you to follow up with this contact. I need you to." Turn in this thing, double back with the lawyer about this thing. I actually, in my critically acclaimed book, How We Can Win, Race, History, and Changing the Money in the Game That's Rigged, I have a, um, (laughs) shameless, I'm shameless. I have a section in there called The Nine Priorities for a Balanced Life. Um, What are they? Do you mind if we give a little bit of it away? No, give it all away. Like, um, because people still want to buy it because they want to have it tangible. They're going to reference and go back to it. Exactly. And they are career, home, Mm-hmm. Transportation, mm-hmm. relationships, finances, health and beauty, hobby, education, and community. Mm. Mm. And so what I do is I will um I don't I don't have my notebook with me. I will I will about once a month I'll sit down and I'll write those nine priorities. Down. I do the same yeah. thing. Yeah, and I will. Is that overwhelming what, though? I feel overwhelmed no, no, not at all. Because <laughs> what I write is what I have going on in each section, yeah. okay. and then I can see where I'm off balanced because mm. I can look at that mm-hmm. and say, okay, my hobby is travel, yeah. and I can look and see that I have nothing in travel. Yeah. So I'll immediately then call my assistant and say, Kia, I need to get out of town. Yeah. Like I. I need just like even if it's just four days in a cabin which is me like I need I need some balance I need to get out of down I'll look at finances and say okay I haven't 
balance my checkbook. Mm -hmm. I still owe this thing to my accountant. I need to do like a small investment. Let me go on some of the investment websites and throw $300 or something real quick to see how it takes. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And so it's like when I'm able to look at it, then I can look at the areas that are okay Mm -hmm. and not feel obligated to do anything in them. But the areas where I'm light, I'm like, oh, this is why I'm feeling off balance Mm -hmm. because I haven't done anything with family. All right, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to kill travel and family by going to Detroit to see my sister. There we go. I like how you broke that down. It's it's really creating a plan Mm -hmm. and something that you can actually see and simplifying it so that you don't get overwhelmed because it is a one step and one piece at a time. I like that, Kim. It's possible. It is possible. It's possible. (laughs) And then I'll tell you this as, as a writing, like I've heard you say this before too. We all say this, like you gotta, you gotta be not be afraid to write trash. Mm. Yeah. That keeps coming up. Yeah. It came up in a recent podcast too. Where, Someone was like, I release the need to be perfect. And that yeah. is actually what I'm working on the most. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to write trash? Because everybody's first draft is trash. trash. Yeah. Even when you everybody's think it's a masterpiece, first draft you is trash. Back and you're like, Nobody, <laughs> no book that you've ever seen on the shelf mm-hmm. was somebody's first draft. Mm-hmm. Not one. Not Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Not Morrison. Not, mm-hmm. not Nikki. Okay, but here's my thing. Yeah. How do you know that that trash first draft even had potential? Your mm-hmm. editor does that. Yeah. You're trying to do two jobs. Oh, no. You aspiring to be an editor when you're supposed to be aspiring to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Yeah, so when you are putting your story together, so you'll have writers that's trying to do all the steps. Oh, people who edit yeah, while they you can't, always yeah, fail. Right. Always. It's yeah. almost like your editor is like your doctor. Yeah. yeah. Like you're taking now your baby, which is your manuscript, to go mm-hmm. get the, your, get your monthly checkups. Right. Yeah. And they're going to let you know, okay, this is good. This is like we need to work on this, work on that. Mm-hmm. You know, like your editor does that. Yeah. And so when you cannot write yeah. and edit your own book, because you, no. you know exactly what you're trying to convey and what it's mm-hmm. supposed to say, and your editor coming in, no, they're going to make that. They're gonna, they're gonna fix it because they're, they're the consumer it. in a sense, and that's yeah. what makes even yeah. that thing that you're saying about the all the different aspects that yeah. much more important. It's like almost the editor is your ability to reflect, right? Yeah. They're reflecting for you. They reflect so then, how for does you. that make it in this overall industry? We're talking to two literary writers, but you're two out of so many people that are out here, right? Mm-hmm. How are Black women really showing up in the literary world from an activist perspective at different levels? If they're not, how can they? What are the barriers? Just what's going on in that world? Writing is activism. Though. Okay. You don't mm-hmm. have to do anything additional. You are mm-hmm. documenting your culture's history. Yep. Okay. You are the people forget like people talk about the Black Panthers, but they don't actually really study them yeah. because if you actually really study the Black Panthers, they had a staff artist who made all of their paintings. You look at the way they dress. They use fashion as a statement. The Afro, True. the black leather jackets, True. the Tams. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they had writers who wrote their version of the story like they understood mm-hmm. that you have to be in every piece of it so if you are writing black keep in mind for centuries our stories were being written by someone else Mm -hmm. the canon for black writers is wide open Mm -hmm. because we didn't contribute to the canons for a for our canon especially not foundational black americans for a very long time Mm -hmm. so it is a revolutionary act yeah 
just to tell just your story, right, yeah. even if your story is mm-hmm. about a black princess who dances in flowers. Yes, <laughs> right? That's refreshing because I'm, you know, you think of every industry, you know, obviously you, you write, there's writers, but then there are also the distributors, there's this or that. For you to just say writing is enough, that's, you know. And that is a part of activism because of there's so many people that I admire, much like yourself, who are frontline activists. And I know that that is not my journey right now. Mm-hmm. And so I actually sometimes feel bad. Like I'm not right. doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And your reminder today that your participation in cultural movement and your participation in resistance mm-hmm. can look so different. different. So and exactly. it can look, it can be anything artistic. It can be documenting. That was just a reminder I needed. Look so at the platform it. that you are on. You're not giving yourself enough now, credit. Ain't y'all own revolt? Ain't that owned by black men? Right. Right. How, did, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah. You're doing something right. But you know you follow the, I'm not going to name names, but and because social media makes them also quite famous and rightly so like these are people who are in the front lines are so brilliant and eloquent and the words come out of their mouth and you're like but and then you want to write a book you feel like that's just not enough and so i just appreciate the reminder that everything we do is enough enough. mainstream media is sometimes afraid to have people like us on. Yeah, mm-hmm. y'all just gave our voice to a whole new mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. Ain't that a revolutionary act? Isn't that an act of resistance? Look at yeah. you doing your part. Oh. Yeah, girl, you doing a good, <laughs> good job. job. Girl, you doing a good job. Oh. Thank you for that good job. Girl, you doing a good job. We just hey. nodded at the idea. Okay, we love it. We love but it. You we already did. in the fight, That's right? It. The, we just all nod at the idea of oh, mainstream media may not want you on, and we're just like, yeah, of course. But, no, we got to unpack that and explain yes. it. Why do you think, both of you really, think that mainstream media sometimes might have an issue with you being on there? Have perhaps said no, perhaps didn't extend an invitation. What are you doing that's, that X station can't, can't handle? Well I, already, well, I already know why they probably don't want Kim on there. <laughs> <laughs> they don't but, like you either. <laughs> no, they definitely don't. Um, <laughs> I think the re- I think the, the the real issue maybe is that we cannot be controlled. Mm-hmm. We we love our voices and we actually say true to ourselves regardless if we're going to be liked or not. And we keeps it black. Yeah, we okay. keeps it black and black, black. With a capital. And B. we just stay authentic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to be disliked. I don't I don't really care about that. Dope. Um Dope. and I think honestly like that is the reason why probably like for me they don't want me on those platforms, but then also why they do want yeah, me on those right. platforms mm-hmm. is because I'm just going to be myself authentically, fearlessly, uh, and I'm going to, you know, have fun and laugh while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, I mean, Kim, she gonna go over there, like, she gonna be pulling out the words, like, I'll be over here with the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what that means, taking notes and stuff, because she gonna be teaching you. Yes. And an educated black woman mm-hmm. on a large platform that looks like me, mm-hmm. do you not know what that would do to other little black girls? Right. Yeah. Come on now. They don't want that. That's it. They don't want That's that. That's it. No. But we coming out. But we be there anyway. And 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 guess what? It be acts of resistance that get us there. When I think about every big platform I've been on, truthfully, when I sit here and think about all the spaces in which I've been on where people are like, oh, my God, you were on this show. It's all been black. It was Trevor Noah, black. Mm -hmm. CBS This Morning, Gail King requested me. Mm -hmm. Breakfast Club. 
black. Mm -hmm. Diddy always gonna make sure I'm doing something with anything (laughs) Diddy. I've been on Revolt. He put up a bunch of billboards and some of my quotes for Ciroc. Mm -hmm. Like, all of that. Um, Steve Harvey has had me on a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Even Michael Steele, who is the, was the RNC chair, has had me on his podcast three times. But the spaces in which I've been, they've been black. When they've been non-black spaces, like, no shade to the people who gave me space. I appreciate them. But they haven't been large platforms you know what I'm saying and so the large platforms that I've been on it's been black people and it's been black people who knew that putting me on was risky yeah Yeah. and they took the risk and they took the risk you know what I mean but we got to keep in mind like art has been democratized Mm -hmm. because of the digital era and the age of information that we live in so you can't gatekeep a Tamika Newhouse anymore no you can't gatekeep a Kim Jones anymore yeah because too many of the homies got platform like this yeah you got too many people like Diddy who's creating his own pathways you got too many Tyler Perry's Mm -hmm. you got too you got you got too many revolts you got too many all these spaces you know what I'm saying you got drink champs Mm -hmm. you got you got Carisha please you got the range Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. you have all these spaces. Mm -hmm. And even if that, my phone is is tapped into the world Mm -hmm. all day, every day. All I got to do is go live and go up. And talk. And talk. So it's harder now for Mm -hmm. them to gatekeep us. Yeah. Because 30 years ago, you know, they would figure out how to shut you down. Or they would bring you on just for the sake of divisiveness. We see a lot of Baldwin interviews. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of Amazing Jay's Baldwin interviews. But they brought him on to ruffle feathers. Now, he came, showed up, shut it down, Mm -hmm. did what needed Mm -hmm. to be done. But it wasn't like they was inviting Baldwin because they was in love with him. It's not like they was inviting Muhammad because they was in love with him. They brought them on for ratings. Yes. Yes. So it's up to us to just take that and spin the narrative to capitalize on our own game. Can we shift Mm -hmm. gears a little bit? Yeah. So we're talking about creativity. We're talking about writing, being an artist, and activism. Those are things that if I thought about recently, I'm like, you are signing up for like a mission of poverty. You're signing uh, up. Uh, uh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> okay. We and, got yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We ain't that broke. <laughs> we multi-thousand ass over here. <laughs> so much of ass. <laughs> So how are you sustaining yourselves? And how are you making sure that that doesn't happen? Because I think this happened to people because they were exploited. Mm. And when I was growing up, so my long story short, but just to watch people who are activists die without health insurance. Right. You know. We're watching a lot of them die in jail right now. Same same thing. So how are we, how are you with your platforms and with the artists you're connected to, the activists you're connecting to, making sure that they're sustained, but most importantly, how are you two sustained? That is a actually that's a great question because um, a lot of writers who want to get into this space, but they get discouraged when there's no return on their investment immediately. Um, so I have been able to create just different ways to to profit just from my voice and just from my ideas mm-hmm. and then just from the relationships that I do have. So I always strategically try to figure out how to monetize just off of everything, to be honest. And then I also have a wealth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then there are sometimes people that do not want to take that time, you know, to discover their knowledge on their own. So I'm like, all right, you got to pay for my time and stuff like that. But then also I do the research and make sure that I do have the life insurance in place, that I do have some assets in place, um, that I do create these business plans and I lay out what my potential financial forecast can look like. And I put a plan together to make sure that I do, uh, that I stay afloat. You did mention you're not looking for that immediate return. And so 
there takes some both faith, but also like patience. Definitely. Mm-hmm. The faith and patience and a plan. Because mm-hmm. often, you know, writers, they may have a job, you know, a security mm-hmm. line in place while they go and pursue things that are a, a tad bit risky. But like the, your most biggest return is not going to come in your comfort zone. Mm, and so sometimes you do have to take sacrifices as well like I'm still you know trying to figure that part out because I like to go out to eat I know but (laughs) I do I want to have to eat when I leave here oh okay we're going okay okay (laughs) but yeah like just putting together like putting putting together a plan like like what what Kim was laying out where you can actually see where your money is going Mm -hmm. and then also the life insurance policies y'all if y'all just go get a life insurance policy come on like that's the bank in itself and you ain't got to worry about your banking system yeah. you can pull like, down on that could just go and just get one of those and we are still dying in debt which I really don't understand like how are we still dying in debt and then black folks just find out fighting over the little assets right. that's left behind and then they selling no grandma's well. house yeah. and thing Yes. Like, just go and have those simple things in plan. Kim hit me up the other day and told me about her will. She even put me in there. She gave me all these books. And I'm like, these books are valuable, though, y'all. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that, too. Like, then you put yourself around people also where you can learn from. Honestly, it is putting together a plan, doing the work itself. And, and these things are really obtainable for us. We can be lazy. As a community, we can be lazy. But if we sit there and actually do the work, mm-hmm. be patient with that, and make sure we, we get these life insurance policies, we can eliminate death with one generation. We just have these life insurance policies in place. Life insurance. I'm glad you said that. Whole life insurance, y'all. Whole life insurance. Not, 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 yeah, not, not that little, yeah. Whole not life insurance. Whole, whole life insurance. <laughs> get a trade. My nephew T Murph, shout out to my shout out to my little baby. I changed his diapers and now he fancy and famous. Uh. <laughs> my nephew, the comedian T Murph, he has his own series on Hulu called Woke. He's one of the leads on it. Oh, I watch Woke. That's I your nephew. Clovis is my With nephew. Clovis? Clovis is my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Clovis to give me some sneakers. Let me tell you something. <laughs> my, my, my family lit. Clovis, I my love nephew. It. I hate even saying this one out loud because my heart breaks every time I say it. Dolph was my cousin. No, for real? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my baby. My baby. That was my baby cousin. Juice World was my baby cousin. Yeah, me, Dolph, and Juice World cousins. That is a... Well, that's yeah. kid, no, everybody. How did yeah. you even... How do you heal? What's like, in the gene? What's going on? How, mm. You know? That's I don't know, but I wish we would stay here with each other. That would be dope. Yeah. yeah. We lost Juice and Dolph. He went to barber school. When he realized that he wanted to do stand-up... And he was going to drop out of college. He dropped out of college. He went to barber school. He got his barber's license. And then he started doing stand-up. Because he knew he could always make money cutting hair. And that he could control his schedule and yeah. doing it. But you also have to think about micro enterprises. I mean, a 360 camera costs you $2,500. But most people rent them at $250 an hour. Which means after two or three rentals, it's paid for itself. I used to, I don't do these anymore. But back in the day, I used to have 25 I sent gumball machines and I used to just place them everywhere and a machine cost me $300 but the average machine make $250 a month I'm talking about the ones you just put the quarter in and get a little mm, thing of gum. Smart. You know what I'm saying? 
And so there's lots of micro businesses that you could start and even keep a day job that don't cost you, you know, you know, vending um, things like oh, I'm sorry, three. I'm tapping to make it sound uh, three, six, 360 cameras. There's yes. lots of micro businesses that you could start. Go to Teespring and start a T-shirt line mm-hmm. like you don't need anything to start it. They handle everything. They take a cut. They ship it. They deal with customer service. They deal with everything. You just go in there and type up your little phrase or yeah. phrases or if you got a homie that draws, get them to do a design for you and you just mm-hmm. upload it onto there. Cost mm-hmm. you nothing Literally. and run you about spend you about a hundred dollars and run you some Facebook ads, Instagram ads, do not pay off, run you some Facebook ads. Facebook, run, is not dead. <laughs> Facebook is the people who have yeah. uh ex, you know expendable income and run you some Facebook ads and sell you some t shirts. There's lots of if you just Google micro business, mm-hmm. there are tons of businesses that will come yeah. up with less than three thousand yeah. dollars you could get them. So this year, and this is no shade to nobody, come February when you get your income tax check. Don't go buy a bunch of clothes. And I understand why people are doing that, so I'm not judging. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is... Go ahead and start you a micro business. You online every day anyway. Get online and promote your stuff. Get online and promote your brand. Get online Mm -hmm. and tell. All you got to do is is have a catchy phrase. Go on Teespring and tell you some Mm t-shirts and find out these micro businesses that you can do that will sustain you. I love that. We're going to have to end soon, but there's a question we ask all of our guests. Okay. It is intentionally broad. The question is, what is your dream for black women? Go ahead, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) What is my dream for black women? Ooh, okay. Mediocrity. Oh, Oh. expound. I know what you're going with this, but. I was going to say something. Yeah. Yeah, mediocrity. A mediocre white man can still afford to vacation, buy a six-figure home, pay for his kids' colleges, go, go visit his mother, have money saved for an emergency, and have a full lived experience and i i wish mediocrity for black women and what i mean is the people who are going to be excellent and great they're going to be excellent and great no matter what the tamika new houses of the world they're going to go out there and be great no matter what the oprahs of the world they're going to be great no matter what the you know like but i don't feel like everybody has should have to be a superhero to have a full lived experience it should not be still in the black community the superheroes and the impoverished are the only people that the world is paying attention to i wish that there's a black woman out there who just wants to raise a good family and be happy and vacation with her husband and enjoy spending time with her kids and go to hawaii with her home girls in january but when you do tap in with the activists because they don't like you on the island and you got to do something for them when you get there who just wants to be and that she understands that there's value in that, that she does not have to be a superhero to have impact on this world. How many of our grandmas, the world will never know their name, but the legacy they left on us is formidable. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. 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 Tamika, what about you? She, she said it so beautifully. I was mm-hmm. going to say rest. I mean, listen, say it, say it, yes. Because I mean, wait, rest and rest again. Because it seems like we're always having to do something, always having to carry something, always having to figure something out. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm always having to save someone. Mm -hmm. Honestly, sometimes we do want to rest and not feel guilty for that. 
And then be loved on a little bit. Yeah. Because sometimes we don't, we don't, we're doing too much of the loving. Yeah. And we're, we're kind of giving away so much of our energy and so much of our time and we're, and we give ourselves the, the crumbs. So love and rest is what I want. Love. For myself too, yeah. Love and rest love and, and mediocrity. And mediocrity. That was Ooh, beautiful. That Thank was beautiful. you. Yeah. That was good, y'all. That was good. Yes. Tell the people a little bit more about where they can keep up with you because clear I know they will. They they would want to. Well, if y'all are in Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. Kimberly and I are opening up a flagship location called oh Lit Diaries. Mm-hmm. It is a creative space where we're gonna have so many conversations such as this and we're gonna bring in so many influential creatives. It's going to tap into these communities. We're going to have a store. We're going to have a merch line. We're going to have creative wellness uh, programs. But it's called Lit Diaries, and we're uh, we're currently um, accepting donations. Okay. Um, So if you go to ourlitdiaries.com, you'll be able to donate to the cause. Our, like O-U-R? Yes. Our, yep. Mm -hmm. Because when there's multiple Mm -hmm. Lit Diaries, that's that's all of our Lit Diaries, you know? And then for me, you go to my website, Tamika Newhouse. Everything is my name. It's T-A-M-I K-A Newhouse. Like I bought a new million dollar house Okay, yes. uh, and everything will connect you for our social media I have a documentary that's coming out later on this year around Thanksgiving so it's called good. Traces of Mika mm-hmm. so it's a visual memoir and it's an adaption of my memoir podcast mm-hmm. which is called Traces of Mika as well where I have two seasons on there and I talk about everything about the sun from motherhood sexuality to mental health to parenting to dreaming um, to finances, to forgiving your family, to trauma, all that jazz mm-hmm. is on Traces Amica, which is streaming y'all on every single platform. So go check that out, get inspired, and then tell your story. Yeah. Tell us about the traces of who you are. Love Beautiful. it. Just real quick, that. Lit Diaries, is there a time frame from when folks can expect to... Before the end of the year, we're actually going to be opening our doors. Okay, so nice. if y'all go to the website and subscribe, yeah. you'll be um, you know, brought up to speed when we do our opening day. Beautiful. And um, you know, y'all can come and celebrate with us, get yeah. some books. Yeah, and of course, drink and eat. Because okay. you know, I like to drink and eat, y'all. I love she it. Love drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can find Follow me, TikTok and Instagram. I'm Kimberly Latrice Jones. Um, you can also go to my website, which is Kim Jones Writes, www.kimjoneswrites.com. And on there, it links you to everything, my YouTube, my all that jazz. But I, I always have to big up this because I'm a fan of blackness. Please follow me on Fanbase. Mm-hmm. On Fanbase, I'm Kimberly Latrice Jones. We need to go over there and support Isaac. Yes, we yes, do. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I actually, uh, I support a fan base too. I did like a little investment. Not a big one, but it's yeah, a little yeah, something, something. Yeah, a little something, something. something. Yeah, just right. a little something, something. Because I think we need our own platform and we need to be able to profit for our own content. And too many other creatives, you know, they steal our content and that goes viral. Yes. But again, we always are the architect of right. cool. Like right. And they got me shadow banned to death on all the apps except for fan base. I, I, we mm-hmm. noticed that with certain hashtags yep. that have the word black in it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It, it ends up being shadow banned for one, one reason or another. Yep. So I love that that you guys are doing that. Tune in for more monuments to me. Ty and I are definitely going to have to recap, try our best <laughs> to recap this amazing, amazing discussion. This is great, y'all. Thank yes. you for coming. Thank y'all this for having amazing. us. <laughs> yes, this is beautiful. Now that's a wrap for our guests, but not for our episode. Keep listening as we share our insights and all our thoughts on what we just discussed. So you know what, Ty? Let's hop right into it. This is MTM Reflections, where we debrief our segment. We talk about the guests. We talk about our own opinions. And we talk about some facts on these topics that we know are super important to you, to us, and to the culture. Woo! Don't you 
don't you feel refreshed? Don't you feel like a black queen? Don't you feel like you got to see Woman King five times over after this episode? Literary activism? Like, I never knew that phrase existed. But after speaking to Tamika, after speaking to Kimberly, I'm like, they, I feel like I need to coin that phrase because that is them in a nutshell, right? I say this after almost every podcast that talking to the guests changes me so much. And I'm getting so much out of just meeting these amazing Black women. But this was another beautiful, beautiful example of that, of two women who are just doing amazing things in the world. Amazing things in the world. Like, I am so impressed. Don't get me wrong. Like, I was never that kid that wanted to go to Barnes and Nobles on a Saturday afternoon (laughs) or things of that nature. But at the same time, I always felt the intensity, felt the importance of reading. I loved, that was kind of my favorite subject in school and just to see the people behind the pages and to see how passionate they are about really not only like lifting us as a people, but just really lifting Black youth is, is so it's so beautiful to see. And just the, in addition to just being powerhouses individually, the way that they kind of lifted each other up throughout their journey. I'm like, it's possible y'all. It's possible for everyone to win. It's, it's great. Yeah. There's this quote that the conversation reminded me of. The quote says, every act is a political act. Mm -hmm. And this conversation reminded me that just writing, expressing yourself, expressing yourself and putting it out in the world is a political act. And even if you, when you do it years later, like these cultural artifacts are going to, you know, document what Black life was like, what life was like for Black women. And I want to have a writing practice. I don't want to do it with like the future in mind, but I think it's motivating to me just based on my personal politics to write and to have this writing practice because it's inherently political. And it's a reminder that my voice matters. I mean, I read amazing authors and I'm like, well, there's no need to write because like James Baldwin already did it. Toni Morrison already <laughs> did it. These two are a reminder that everyone's story does matter. And yeah. I hope our listeners took that away. They literally just emphasize the fact that it's different because it's your perspective. But I'm, I want to delve into that though. Like I know it, cause it just sounds great. The idea of it being activism, you saying like, it's a political act. Why though? Like, why is it that deep? Like outside of what Tamika and Kimberly said. <laughs> because you're telling your own story. You're not giving that power away to anybody else. And so you're valuing your own story enough to write it down. You're honoring your own story and your own journey enough to put it out there. Just like this podcast is a place where Black women tell stories with and about other Black women, me writing takes it an even step further where I write about myself. You know, I'm not letting anyone else do it. It's not going through anyone else's filter, but my own. And it's really honoring that my perspective is valuable and unique and deserves to be, you know, shared with others. That's the key piece, I think, for me too. And that next step deserves to be shared with others. Because for me personally, I do have a journal practice. Like every week I have a prompt, right? And I like kind of just free flow, write my thoughts to that prompt. And really it just gets tucked away in my book of like, or little shelf of diaries and journals and whatever. But that's just more of a way for me to just like keep present some of the things going on in my life, but really from a lens of, this prompt, i.e. what was your favorite memory? What was this? What was that? But I think the next step is what they're saying and what you're talking about. The political aspect of it is sharing it then with the world, you know, and having that importance or feeling that it's important to 
that someone else needs to read it, you know, and someone else needs to connect with it. Yeah, I think I don't really know what that looks like for me because Mm -hmm. I don't actually have a regular journal practice. So that's one thing I'm taking away is just to write more and to write more regularly. But I guess everyone gets to decide how they share it. But it's not, you know, their whole thing was their publishers, their writers, their authors. So literary activism means at some point it has to be shared. But when I looked at all of the books that they wrote, they're so different. You know, Mm -hmm. some of them are novels that are based on true stories. Some of them are how-tos, you know, so how you share it with the world can really look so different. And so I think everyone can find what might work for them. There we go. And I think too, like, can't be remiss to say we like to say, and it might be true, you know, that print is dying, right? These physical books and newspapers, things of that nature is just not something people are interested in anymore. And yet they've been able to really carve out really unique and successful careers in this field because they're being so true to their voice and sharing to a community that I think really wants to hear from them to the point where, you know, Tamika really mentioned her publishing house and things of that nature, sometimes out of necessity, but then it becomes really a haven for a lot of of future authors. So I I think it's really a reminder too that nothing is too saturated and nothing can be fully archaic in today's time. If you do it with your own little spin on it and with, you know, the current modern end consumer in mind. And so I just like that they're successful in what they're doing in a field that people say is kind of, you know, growing extinct. Absolutely. I think it was Tamika who said, well, one of them their book didn't become a bestseller till a year after it came out. Right. So I think we have to remind ourselves, and we say this all the time on this podcast, that success is not overnight. People are on these journeys and you just don't know about it. Like you only meet the person who's already the New York Times bestselling author. And without the context of it took a year to get there and who knows how much he also poured into the book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of getting there, let's get to our major question that we ask every week. Ty, what is your dream for Black women this week? So my dream for Black women is that they're inspired to do that. They're inspired to tell their own story, that they can take out the time and carve out the time to tell their own story because this writing is a practice and you get you know just caught up in life. So real. So real. Take the time to write your own story or document your story. That's dope. My dream for Black women this week is really to find your niche that would help you kind of fight for this culture, fight for Black culture and preserve Black culture. Find a way to do that because I think it should be, it doesn't have to be the end-all be-all. If it is the end-all be-all for your own you know, life's purpose, go for it. But I think it doesn't have to be the main thing that you do, but it should be an aspect of something that you do. Like they, at the end of the day, if you boil it all down, they're writing books, right? But the fact that even with writing books and novels and stories, they've been able to carve out a niche within that to kind of propel and fight for our culture, the preservation of our culture as a whole is is what makes it inspiring. And so I think a dream for Black women, a dream for myself too, is really to, to find that space and to really be purposeful in that space to really say what I'm doing is in part accelerating the culture because it matters. Every perspective matters and and it matters with really just rising the ship overall when it comes to us as a people. That's great. I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Please subscribe, leave a review, tell five friends and follow us on social media. Details in the show notes. There we go. You're listening to Monuments to Me brought to you by Revolt. See you next week. Thank you for tuning into Monuments to Me, 
A special thank you to Revolt for creating the space for Black women to have important conversations. If you like what you heard today, and we are so sure that you did, then subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. And follow your hosts, Hi and Akila, on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.